in this account today in Mark's gospel, Jesus is going to give this famous statement. It's really the theme verse of the book of Mark. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The one who was ransomed to buy you back out of the slave market of sin and death is Jesus. He is our ransom. And that's today on Walk in Truth Radio. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. One rabbi taught that if a man found another woman more beautiful or more virtuous than his current wife, that would make the current wife unclean. What these men were doing was exactly what the men were doing at the time of Moses and at the time that God divorced Israel. They were dealing with their wives treacherously. Now, I want you to look back here. If you would, go back to Malachi, right before the book of Matthew, easy to find, right before Matthew, the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 2, and it's the famous I hate divorce passage. But we need to read the whole passage here. Malachi 2, 13 through 16. God is speaking here. He says, this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears and with weeping and with groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, or it really should be yet you ask, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously. Though she, she is your companion and your wife by covenant, but not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Does this context make that statement a little more clear to you? You see, God hates divorce because he hated the evil way men were treating their wives, the same way they had treated him with their idolatry. And God hates all the evil that goes along with divorce. Now, the men at the time of Jesus were doing the exact same thing that these men were doing. But you know what? It was even worse because what they were trying to do and was evidenced even by the question, what they were trying to do was make themselves appear righteous while dealing treacherously with their wives. This is what Jesus is speaking against in this passage. Now we can see that Jesus made an obvious assumption here that the divorcing person would not be remaining celibate. Remember, the verse itself is talking about adultery in a second marriage or the remarriage. I threw out this question in the book, and I'm going to ask you, 
Could we possibly assume one more thing that might give us a little more insight into why Jesus spoke the way he did? Could we possibly assume that Jesus, knowing these men were going to remarry, would be completely unrepentant in what they were doing? That they would be completely unrepentant of this sin before they remarried? You're going to have to wrestle with that one. As I said, Jesus was not interested in answering the question and giving a list of reasons to divorce, and you don't see it there. But he is interested in reminding all who would hear what God's plans for marriage is. So now I know what you're thinking. Then are there any biblical grounds for divorce? Not with the intent of I'm going to just dump my spouse and remarry because I don't like him. And if... I did divorce on the basis of infidelity that was included here. Aren't I free to remarry? Well, by what Jesus said in this passage, you certainly would not be committing adultery if that were the case. Now, the next question is, are there any other reasons that God might allow for divorce? Well, we already mentioned one in 1 Corinthians 7.15. And this is a lot more clear to me than the other verses. Paul was answering here a lot of questions that the Corinthians had about marriage. They were really mixed up. Those poor guys, I mean, you know, a lot of them came to know Christ and then their spouse wasn't a Christian and they didn't know what to do about that. If you were a wife and you were married to a husband who wasn't a Christian and you'd come to Christ, he was still going to the temple prostitutes in his religion. And even some of the Christians were asking, was that still okay? They were really mixed up. So Paul was answering a lot of their questions and he says in 1 Corinthians 7, 15, he tells the believers who are married to unbelievers to stay married if the unbeliever de desires to stay married. That's what he says. But he adds this in verses 15 and 16. Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. That word for leave, by the way, there, as I said before, is depart, go away, means divorce. If the unbelieving one divorces, let him go. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. Now, I firmly believe after studying this extensively that under bondage means that the believer is free to remarry. But then that begs another question. Well, what if a believing spouse is abandoned by one who claims to be a believer? Well, what do you think? Do you think God would be stricter on that believing victim because the other one claims to be a believer? Does that seem like God's heart to you? You see, I think Paul was just answering a very specific question here, and that's why he didn't include any other scenarios there. Well, the question is then, are there any other circumstances that God would allow a divorce? Well, the Bible does not have a list of offenses that you can look at and say, I can get a divorce and I'm still good with God. It doesn't have it. And I think there's a reason for that. I want you to think about this for a second. If there was a list in the Bible that said, you can get divorced for this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason, how many of us, when times get difficult, would go to that list and say, where is my ticket out? Amen? We would, because... 
Marriage can be hard. It can be difficult. And sometimes we feel like, man, I don't know about this. So let me go check this list out. I'm sure I can find something in here and still be good with God. You see, then we would be the ones asking the wrong question. Now, you might still be thinking, after all this, Pastor Chris, I think you're wrong. I still think that what is being said here is that pornea is the only allowable reason for divorce. And then, of course, you have to figure out what that word really means. And I have pastor friends that believe that and they teach that. But I will tell you this, that most of them have not taken the time to study all the scriptures concerning divorce. It seems like there's these, these three camps of pastors. There's one that says no divorce for any reason whatsoever, period. There's another camp that says, no, I see in the Bible that Matthew 19 and Mark 10 says that, you know, sexual infidelity is grounds. And then I may even go as far as the second one that Paul said. And then there's this third camp that says, we can't figure it out, everything's under grace, so let's not worry about it. I don't think any of those are correct. But these pastors, friends of mine, sometimes I ask them, I go, okay, do you think a person, person should stay in a marriage if they're being physically abused? Hmm. The common answer, of course, is, well, no, God's not going to want them to be physically harmed uh, in any way. So then I ask them, well, then what should they do? It's at this point, I get a blank stare. Then I ask them, well, does the Bible allow for their divorce? The blank stare continues. Or sometimes I get one of these default answers as to what they should do. Well, here's what I think they should do. They should get a legal separation and wait. And then the next question comes up. Okay, how long do they need to wait and what are they waiting for? Well, back to the blank stare. You see, the Bible doesn't address this situation by saying you may get divorced if you're physically abused. But I think most of us would agree that no one should have to stay in that situation. It just seems to make sense to us. But when someone, especially a pastor, is determined that there are only two legitimate reasons for divorce, and that's adultery or abandonment, then they leave no option for that victim in that situation other than Separation, and that means waiting and hoping that the other person either commits adultery or leaves and files papers or that they die. And I know that there are pastors who actually have given the counsel in situations to say, you just wait it out, eventually they'll, they'll fall into that sin that allows for your divorce. Really? I'm to wait and hope and pray that that other person falls into sin or dies? Is that God's heart? I don't think so. And see, if, if there's no other option, then that person has no way of becoming free and actually really going on with, with their life. Now, how about this scenario? My good friend, Pastor Dave Rolfe, as I was writing the book and I sent it over to him to kind of check it out for me and add anything else that he might see that I could put in there. Well, this is a typical Dave. If you listen to him, you know. He threw this possibility out. Okay, 
What if a husband murdered the couple's children? Would that wife have grounds to divorce him? Or would God say, well, he didn't commit adultery, so you're stuck? Sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? And yet, there are people who might say, well, no grounds. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. Really appreciate you tuning into the broadcast today. I'm going to tell you about a website that we have. It's a brand new website. It's called walkintruth.com. And on that website, you can find a new devotional. It's a video devotion called A Step Closer. The intention is to help you get a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ. So go today to walkintruth.com. Scroll down on the video devotion called A Step Closer. And our prayer is that it'll get you a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ today. You know, in a Christian marriage, we take vows, correct? We take vows. And in those vows, each person is uh, saying vows that represent a commitment to this marriage. And, you know, traditionally we say love, honor, and cherish. I kind of wish we'd write them a little bit differently. Uh, I, I wish we would put them this way because I think this is more biblical. I would like to see each person say uh, what the Bible says. Husband would say, I must love my wife with the agape love described in 1 Corinthians 13. I vow to do that. And I vow to value my wife as a sister in Christ. And I'd like to hear wife say, I vow to respect my husband and submit to the authority, uh, his authority in the marriage. And uh, guess what? Another biblical requirement in marriage, the third one, both spouses should vow to be sexually faithful to each other and not withhold sexual intimacy from with each, from, uh, with each other. Because guess what? That's in the Bible. Except for prayer and fasting. You see, I'd like to see all of these requirements be placed into the vows because that represents what we are committing to the other person in our marriage. And when we make vows in a wedding ceremony, I can tell you that God takes them really, really seriously. If you look at uh, Leviticus 19, uh, 11 and 12, and Deuteronomy 23, 21 through 23, you see how serious God takes any vow we make. That's why Jesus said, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't take vows unless you're going to keep them. Now, let's say a husband, and we're going to throw them under the bus because so many of them are gone to the retreat this weekend, okay? So let's say a husband just decides at some point in the marriage that he doesn't need to keep those vows. He's out every night drinking, hanging out with his buddies, spending all his family income, not leaving the wife even enough to pay the bills and feed her family. And then when he's confronted, he says, I don't care. I'll do what I want. So he's not going to participate in the marriage, but he refuses to file for divorce because after all, that would be sin, to file for divorce. And there have been spouses in this situation who after years and years of trying to make it work have finally filed the papers. And then when a so-called brother or sister finds out, they ask, well, wait a minute, do you have biblical grounds? Now, what are they asking? They're asking, has there been sexual infidelity? That's what they're asking when they say that because most of them have heard that that's the only grounds for divorce. As if the person should even tell them that anyway. I'm going to tell you 
that that man has already divorced his wife in his heart. And what does God care about? He cares about our heart. But that guy was too cowardly to file the papers. He was just going to divorce her in his heart, and that was it. This man has dealt treacherously with his wife. Now, you see, all divorce is a result of sin in some fashion or other. In some way, there has been sin. But I also don't want you to buy into the lie that, and you hear this all the time, well, you know, it's, it's always both people. No, it is not always both people. Though all of us sin and all of us fall short and none of us are perfect in our marriage, that does not mean that one person is not the victim of their spouse's rebellion against God. So now that we've looked more closely into all of these scriptures, what are some of the conclusions that we can come to? And in the book, I list 10 that I think are clear and 12 things to consider. You can breathe a sigh of relief. I'm not going to go through them all, okay? But I'm going to give you a few. One, God's will for marriage has not and never will change. One man, one woman for life. That's God's plan. Two, certainly when marital unfaithfulness has occurred, the two-becoming-one relationship has been violated. It's been broken. Three cannot become one. Paul was very clear, and that's why there's so much strong teaching in both the Old Testament and the New Testament against sexual sin because it is so important. It's also clear to me that the offended spouse in that case has a right to end the marriage if they so choose. But that does not mean that a marriage is irreparable at that point. God can, and he often does, repair the worst kind of damage in a marriage, but it's when both parties surrender and submit to him and allow him to work. And God will not go against someone's free will if they're not willing. You know, I think we've all heard stories of tremendous situations where God has done these great works. We hear them on the radio all the time. But just like in healing, not every marriage is healed. Three, Paul allowed for divorce due to abandonment, and the offended spouse was free. Now, you might disagree with that freedom means, but because it was in the context of marriage, I believe it means you're free to remarry. Number four, a New Testament marriage is designed to be a picture of the relationship between Jesus and the church, right? We all heard that. If you've been in my premarital counseling, and many in here have, we go through that extensively and how important that is. And that is above and beyond everything else in our marriage. We're to present a picture to the world of Jesus and the church. Now, does that mean if two people stay together no matter what, that it always presents that picture? No, it doesn't. That picture can be completely destroyed by two people who decide to stay together and yet do some of the things that we shared earlier. The picture can be destroyed. Now, here's something to think about for you. Again, thinking cap is still on. If a person has divorced someone, quote-unquote, unbiblically, but has confessed that sin before God, and ask forgiveness. 
Are they less forgiven for that than any other sin? Sadly, many people have been made to feel that way. Since 1 John tells us that when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, is that person less cleansed? Told you, you need to put your thinking cap on. I want to close with this. With all there is that we have to think and contemplate on this subject, let's make sure that we are not guilty of asking the wrong question. And I mean that in a couple of ways. If you're in a difficult marriage and wondering what to do, I would ask that you not start with the question, can I get out and still be okay with God? Or if I get divorced for whatever reason, can I get remarried? I would say that'd be the wrong question to start with. Now, don't get me wrong. It may be necessary that you end a marriage. But I urge you to start with this question. Is there any way to salvage this situation and work back to having a godly marriage? Have I exhausted all the possibilities? And I would ask all of you, brothers and sisters, who are blessed in a great and wonderful marriage, when you're speaking to someone who is in a desperate situation, so desperate that they're contemplating divorce, please do not ask them, do you have biblical grounds? That's the wrong question, and I hope now that you could see why. Instead, you might ask them, can I pray for you? Can I help you in any way here? Is there any hope that your situation could change? You know, I know that the church has reacted to rampant divorce in our country, and, and so much so that we see it, and as I said, the word itself is ugly when we hear it, and we don't want to see it, but we can react in the wrong way. You know, um, have you ever noticed that when Jesus came upon people that were in pain and in suffering, that his first reaction was always that of compassion? Have you noticed that? That should be our first response. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't speak the truth in love when it's appropriate and when the Holy Spirit is clearly directing us to speak out. Well, I want to close with a verse from 1 Corinthians 13. You guys know that's probably my favorite chapter in the Bible. And in 1 Corinthians 13, at the end of what love is and what love does and does not, it says, agape, that's the love we're talking about, agape never fails. And I, I truly believe that when two spouses surrender their hearts so strongly to the Lord and live in the agape love that's described in 1 Corinthians 13, which is, I am going to put my spouse's needs above my own in every possible way. And both spouses are living in that kind of situation that what is spoken here is true. Agape will not fail, and the marriage will succeed. It won't always be easy, and it won't always be perfect, but it will, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, it will persevere and it will glorify God. But again, that's in a place where both people are in that place and willing to do that. Unconditional agape love. And that's an encouraging thing. And I, I don't want to leave this message with not being encouraged. 
It was this topic that we had to speak about, and I hope it's helped you. But I want you to be encouraged that no matter what happens in your life, when you come to the Lord in forgiveness, and I would say this, one last thing I would say here, even if you are the victim of a divorce, you did not want the divorce, or you did not want what was happening that led to the divorce, I would say this, that it's always a good idea, no matter what, for you to go to the Lord and contemplate and say, God, what do you want to show me out of this situation? What do you want to teach me? Because as I move on in my life with you, I want to serve you with my whole heart. And I want you to show me anything that you need to cleanse out of my life. And when you have confessed your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin. And he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he will take your life and he will put it in a good direction. He has a plan for you. It's a plan for good, not of evil. So brothers and sisters that have gone through this, please, you're not a second-class citizen. You're a child of God the most holy God who loves you and desires good things for your life. Hey, if you've been listening to these radio messages and you've opened your heart to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you may be asking the question, what do I do now? Let me give you four things really quick of what to do after you become a Christian. Number one is read your Bible. You know, the Bible is like spiritual nourishment for your soul. It's spiritual food for the inner man. So think of your Bible as food for the soul. Get into your Bible and get your Bible into you. Open it up and read it for yourself. Number two, find a good, healthy Bible teaching church. You know, it's not enough for a church to say they're Bible believing. Make sure that they're Bible teaching and make sure that they teach in an expository fashion, going through passages and explaining the meaning of the text. Number three is to pray. You know, prayer is really a two-way communication with you and God. Pray with an open Bible. Keep your heart open. The Lord will speak to you primarily through the scriptures, but he can also speak to your heart and show you what to do. And number four is share your faith with others. Tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ that you have embraced personally in your life. Tell them about how you've been born again to a living hope in Christ. That will give them the opportunity to meet Jesus Christ themselves. And it will also keep you accountable to this new life that you have in Christ. If we can be of help in any way, we'd like to know. We'd like to know if you made a decision to follow Christ. And if you're looking for a church to plug into, if you have questions, if you are looking for a healthy church, if we can help you in any way, Hey folks, it's Pastor Michael. I want to tell you about our store at walkintruth.com. If you click on the store, we have a number of products up there. They're teaching products, DVDs, CDs, books that are available, all to help your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you purchase a product at our store at walkintruth.com, you help us pay for radio airtime and you partner with us and it's a blessing in both directions. So check it out today. Go to the store, walkintruth.com. Click on it. Click on the store. You'll see a number of different products. That's walkintruth.com. Click on the store today and it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you and we'll catch you next time on the broadcast. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.